0: Hey guys, it's Frankie and Misa. How are you guys? We hope
1: you're doing well and we hope you're uh, enjoying this podcast from either the comfort of your own home or maybe your work cubicle. If that's something you're, I don't know, are, are office workers essential
0: right now? Or who's essential right now? Honestly, I. What my understanding of essential is is anyone who helps or has a job in a field that helps to support people in everyday living. Um, so a lot of people are essential. Most people with jobs in offices though, can work from home. So I guess it just kind of depends on your office or your building. So yeah, that's true. Actually my
1: sister's in Cali and she works with like disability claims Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so she actually still has to go to work and she has like I mean her commute is like 10 minutes now in LA oh wow (laughs) it's kind of bizarre what a time to be alive (laughs) yeah pretty much um anyway guys hi welcome to Soundtrack City
0: we are recording remote once again this quarantine, guys, I thought that we would be back together and reunited by now, but unfortunately, that is not the case yeah it's um it's really hard
1: to say when that is ever going to be like I was freaking out about everything, and so I called my my friend and I wanted her to be rational and talk to me because I have this habit of reacting to things emotionally. And um, one of the things I told her was just like, you know, everything just feels so bleak now. Like there doesn't really feel like in this moment in time, there doesn't really feel like there's going to be a sense of normalcy coming back uh, soon or really ever. Um, Like I told her that I tried to cheer myself up by watching old WrestleManias, of course, with like these are like the fucking ginormous, spectacular WrestleMania events with like 70,000 people in the crowd. And I told her, How in turn, it actually made me sad because it made me wonder, like, am I ever going to be in a crowd of 70,000 people
0: ever again? Because right now it doesn't feel like it, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like there's no end in sight at all. I don't know if things will ever return to normal. Like, there's so much unknown. There's so much circumstantial. um, And then there's supposed to be like a second wave of all of this. And It is beyond frustrating to not know. Um, It's kind of terrifying for my kids' sake, for job security for so many people. I mean, all the local businesses that we mentioned last time, um, you know, musicians, artists, photographers, everyone who works for themselves is suffering right now. Yeah, yeah. And um, speaking of the small
1: businesses who may need our help at this time, um, we did. Mention a few last episode uh, yes. that we wanted to kind of help support and get the word out that they are still operating and that you can support them uh, if you have the means. Um, and we do have a few more. We're going to try to come up with at least a few each
0: episode just to get the word out, like I said. Um, so uh, Frankie, who do you yes. have in mind? Okay, so I just recently found out about this amazing online cookie company that specifically focuses in the Cyprus area. So I'm so sorry if you don't live in Cyprus, but they have just delicious cookies and they deliver them to your house warm on your porch. They're giant. You get four giant cookies for $10. Um, they, they're phenomenal. Like Some of the best cookies I have ever had in my life. Uh, They are called Half-Baked Goodness, which I love the name, of course. It's adorable. Mm -hmm. They feature a cookie of the month. And this month's cookie is called the Cadbury cookie. Um, It's like an Easter traditional cookie. My favorite is the creme brulee. And, guys, they have gluten-free, keto, and paleo-friendly cookies. So they kind of cater to lots of different people. They also have um, some vegan options and they are just so delicious. So again, if you're in the Cyprus area, they do deliver. Now that doesn't mean that someone like in Ailey for, you know, Sugarland can't order. They just can't get them delivered um, the same day. So they'll have to wait a little bit longer for um, delivery or I'm sorry, shipping. So, um, so yeah. They are so, so good, and um, I know they have an Instagram, and they have a website that I'll go ahead and have Misa put up on the blog. Sweet. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I might have to try them myself. But... They're freaking amazing. Like, <laughs> so good. The first time I got them, I was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, but Misa, that creme brulee is like the best cookie I have ever ever had. And you, I, I love cookies.
1: <laughs> I am
0: a cookie connoisseur of sorts. Um, their oatmeal chocolate chip was divine. Um, the only one, and I'll give it you know, just a raw, um, you know, feedback. The only one that I wasn't totally sold on was the uh, peanut butter Supreme. Um, it was a little too dry for my taste. Peanut butter cookies can be difficult to get like a really moist peanut butter. Um, it did have a really nice peanut butter core, which was delicious, but the outside was a little dry for me. But all the other ones, I had the creme brulee, I had the oatmeal chocolate chip, and then I also had the, um, Oreo, which was their cookie of the month last month. Delicious. Every single one of them. And they're ginormous. Like me and my kids each split them and it took us like three days to eat it. Damn! Yeah, <laughs> they're so good. So worth it. So good. Um, I've also ordered them recently for like a thank you gift for someone who helped me out this past week. Um, and she even said that they were so good, and she was surprised. Like they deliver up until like almost ten o'clock at night, and like I said, they were delivered hot to her house.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So I really hope you guys. Uh, you know, look them up. Half-baked goodness—they're delicious. Again, Misa will tag them. Um, I have pictures, so we can definitely put those up on the Instagram as well. Sweet. Okay. Cool. Um, and then I only have two this time, but they're—they're
1: uh, they're two of my favorite spots. Uh, one of them is here in Houston. Um, it's this awesome little pizza place out in Montrose called Love Buzz. Um, and part of the reason why I love it so much is because, uh, some of the pizza names are Simpsons references uh, and they have a giant, like Marge statue in their dining hall.
0: Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> and they also have like a little arcade and skee ball. And then they also have like this, um, like a glass case of, um, just like old school memorabilia. Like there's a Pee Wee Herman doll inside there and just like really cool little knickknacks and shit. Um. Really cute spot. It's, you know, open until 2 a.m. And right now, um, they have quite a few good offers going on. So they are also a pub. Um, So right now, they're offering 15% off beer. Um, They're offering 25% off for industry workers. And um, then I had to to screenshot their special because they're offering so much right now. Right now, they're actually offering do-it-yourself pizza packs which I think is a really cool idea. So they have three different options where it's like, they'll give you a pizza box of three dough balls, homemade sauce, four cheese blend, and any four toppings of your choice for 30 bucks. Then they have a six dough ball homemade sauce, four cheese blend, and six topping do-it-yourself pack for $55, and then they have another one where they give you 10 dough balls, homemade sauce, four cheese blend, and any six toppings for $95. So you can basically go home and make your own pizza with their ingredients.
0: Wow, that's so cute. And so everything is, like all the um, beer and everything, you can um, get that to go? Yeah, everything is to go. Yeah, obviously no one's allowed to
1: hang out and sit with the cool Marge statue, but <laughs> uh, she'll still be there <laughs> when they reopen. Um, but yes, so for now, it's um, everything is like uh, carry out. Um, you know, you're welcome to call. Or, you know, they're right there in Montrose, right off of Westheimer, so you probably drive by them all the time if you're in Houston. Um, (laughs) So, cute little pizza pub. Definitely go check them out. And then the other small business that I wanted to mention is actually in California. Um, It's an art gallery that I love. um, I have loved for years. I remember... um, like 2017, I went to LA for my birthday. And at the time, this particular gallery had like a BoJack Horseman art exhibit, which was amazing. Um, and I actually have a print that I bought from that same exhibit. So um, it's a really cool place called Gallery 1988. And it's actually in Hollywood. Um, and it's this cute little spot. They uh, they, uh, they tend to have exhibits that are like based around pop culture. Um, Right now, I think the particular exhibit is um, the Art of LA. So it's like, it's like one artist who recreated um, iconic spots in and around LA uh, through digital art. And so that's like, that's technically what I guess you could say, quote unquote, is on display at the gallery, even though no one's in the gallery right now. Um, but they are currently, you know, they still sell prints. They sell prints from past exhibits and stuff like that. So like, I actually just yesterday, um, I went and bought like a, a macho man print that they had for a WWE show that they did last year that I loved. Um, so they have really cool stuff. Um, so I'll put their website up, I'll tag them and everything. And right now they're offering 20% off of basically any purchase of the gallery um, with the with the code COMFORT, because you're ordering from the comfort of your own home. <laughs>
0: That's,
1: cute. That's cute. So um, yeah, so my macho man print ended up being like what it ended up being. Like, it was like $6 off. With that oh, wow. Card. That's nice. But yeah, it's, it's a really cool gallery, really cool spot. Of course, um, if and when things ever do return to normal, I do encourage you guys to actually go visit the place and see it. But uh, for now, they have some amazing work on the website uh, available for sale. Uh, some of them are very limited prints, uh, but they're all artists They are all, you know, graphic designers and just really, really talented people. So, um, I definitely recommend checking
0: that out, um, support local artists and support small businesses. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. All of it. I'm so, I'm just so ready for us to be able to support these businesses in person. Yeah, dude, me too. Um, I realized
1: like, you know, I didn't realize how social I wanted to be until I couldn't be social. (laughs)
0: I right. a, a shitty thing to say. <laughs> no. But, I like, I mean, if I want to be, you know, an introvert, like, I want to do it on my time. Like, I want to be the person who gets to decide. I don't want someone to tell me no, you can't go out and do anything. You know what I mean? Thank Um, you. Yes. That's, that's, yes. Very
1: well said because like, I'm seeing a lot of memes about the introverts, which I admit I'm, I I think I'm mostly more of an introvert than an extrovert, but I can be an extrovert. Um, But the one thing that I've noticed is like, it's not that we like to be in all the time. It's like, it's that we like the option (laughs) Or whatever. And so, you know, before it was like, well, at least I could get up and go out and see my friends and eat at a restaurant. But now I can't do any of that. Right. (laughs) It
0: It really does. It's like FaceTime with your own food or, I mean, I don't know. It's just – it's crazy. And it makes me just – Like, yes, I appreciate my family so much. And I'm very grateful that I still have a job and that, you know, I'm able to be home with my kids and we're healthy and, you know, like being, trying to be optimistic. The quarantine, while I totally understand, you know, the purpose for it, um, it's hard for all of us, like, especially because we are naturally social creatures. Um, And, you know, of course we decide we don't want to be. Um, And The the overall mental health of a lot of people in our country is dwindling down. Um, In fact, I have a friend who her son and daughter's friend committed suicide, and this was a freshman in high school. Like, a lot of kids are not okay. People are not okay. Adults are not okay. There's so much stress going on, and can you imagine, you know, all of our families who are not as well off as we are and who are stressing about money, like, this is the time when we have a very high rise in child abuse and neglect, and it's serious. Like, it's a serious, hard time to be alive right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, I don't know, man, everything looks bleak. And then the other day I saw a quote that said something like, we can never return to normal because our normal was exactly the problem
0: wow that's deep
1: so it's like and in a way you kind of think like well, now that uh, now that the quarantine is kind of forcing us to look at things a different way and to work a different way and to live a different way, like I think we as like mammals and as human beings, we're gonna find those little shortcuts and we're gonna go- we're gonna find those little like um, life hacks into kind of integrating this into being like our new routine. So in a way, we really won't return to normal because even if our routine does, we will be changed um, in such a way. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see, like like I said, I, I don't know if and when things will be back to normal. When when people have been using the phrase, oh, when things go back to normal, let's get together. Oh, I can't wait to see you when things go back to normal. And I just kind of like make a face when they say that because I'm like, well, you don't even know if that's going to happen. Like, for all we know, and I'm, I say this in the, the best humor possible, but
0: <laughs> for all we know, this is the end
1: of the fucking world.
0: Which is why, guys, to, you know, shed some humor. Humor is the best medicine. Um, we decided that this week's broadcast would be about the end of the world because, you know, that's what it does kind of feel like. It does feel like we're slowly getting down to like right before a zombie apocalypse or, you know, uh, rationing of food, which we're already seeing, things like that. And just, We're here to bring you some laughter in times of despair and, you know, uncertainty and darkness and, you know, just laugh it up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so we kind of decided why not get in the spirit of things and um, create a soundtrack for the end of the world just in case just in in case case. we need (laughs) it. you know like you know sometimes you hear the the whole like what's what's the last song you want to hear before you die kind of shit and i'm not saying that any of these songs have to be it but i think these will at least make you feel better that we all have to go um but like you said was is so true and um it's something that i've been noticing like Granted, I know it's good to stay informed, but I also know that, like, constantly watching the news is just going to incite fear. So I really try to just – I don't limit what my, what I read, but I, I do at the same time because I don't want to scare myself. Of course. Um, and so, um, so the news, of course, is just on in the house all the fucking time, but I – I just kind of walk by it, you know, like I, I I, hear bits and pieces every now and then, and I read shit on, I'm rotating between Twitter and Reddit, just like looking at news and headlines, and, um, <laughs> which I know is not the best source for news, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> fuck you guys, um, so, uh, and, and one thing that I started noticing is like, you know, we are currently in the stage of the crisis that the zombie movies skip over in the time lapse. Like you hear about the very first kind of infections and then there's always like a gap of time and then just everyone's infected and everyone's dead. And so I feel like right now I'm in the part of the movie that we never see. And this is like mm-hmm. the slow progression of the virus and it's gaining mobility and it's like reaching further and further. And it's really kind of changing my perspective on on some of those like disaster movies. Um and then of course it's I I just wanna mention this because it is WrestleMania weekend. Um and every and if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you know that I'm a huge wrestling fan. And WrestleMania was supposed to be today, it was supposed to be this probably eight, nine, ten hour whatever <laughs> like fucking event as usual. Um but even like even the world of wrestling, uh, which is always there, which is which they travel, you know, 300 days a year you know they do so many shows a week so many shows a year um they're those guys are probably home 50 days out of the year if that Whoa. Like, and now with the whole quarantine and the virus and everything like they have to do their shows in an empty performance center and that's actually what has happened in Wrestlemania so instead of Wrestlemania being at a stadium in Tampa Bay Florida with 70,000 people it's it was pre-taped in a performance center, which is otherwise a, a training facility for up-and-coming, like, wrestlers who haven't debuted yet. Um, and there's no crowd. And it's it's really crazy to see how the world has kind of changed things. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the other sports just completely got canceled. All the seasons are just fucking canceled. Um, and so you know i'm at least grateful that something like wrestlemania and wrestling in general is still allowed to be a distraction you know it's nice to just tune out mm-hmm. and feel like okay this is still normal even though it's it's a little tweaked um but it's it's just crazy to see like just how deeply affected everything around you really is like everything is different everything looks different now and hopefully like it's like we said before, like hopefully this just kinda of starts changing people's perspectives on the environment, on humanity, kindness. Um, you know, I just yeah. Him. I I've been saying for a while that mankind needed a hard reset.
0: Yeah, we said that last time. Like I and I do agree, like there are some things that we really need to put in perspective. Um I personally do not like the fact that we are even more dependent on technology now. Um, But that's just me. I love technology for what it is, but I do think that we spend a lot of time focusing on that instead of really truly personal relationships. Um, And like everything I'm doing right now is online, like teaching online, meetings online. I hate it. I hate it. Um, And that's just me. And I know. But there are other things that I do think that this, you know, time has brought to light. Like there are people eating at home more. There are people spending more time with their families. There are people who are getting outside more, you know, for the first time in forever. There are people who are actually having to slow down and focus on family and life instead of just work, 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 work. Um, and I do think that people who are used to constantly going and going and going are having a true reset because this is really causing you to slow down and prioritize your life. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's for some this
1: is a nice like not not necessarily a break. I don't want to say that because it's just it's way too light a word for these conditions. But like yeah, that's true. There are a lot of people whose, whose routines um just kind of prevented them from slowing down and breathing and you know maybe getting extra sleep at night and um so for those people who who are able to slow down in this in this particular time like i hope that they are kind of taking that time to rejuvenate in a sense to do things that they didn't have the chance to do before you know to catch up on something that they've been putting off because of a b or c right um, at the same time though it's unfortunate that like not everyone kind of gets to sit at home in their bathtub watching their favorite TV show. Some people still are having to work. Some people are still having to hustle, uh, not necessarily from home, but, you know, in general. And I know that's stressful, too. I know you told me, like, like doing everything online is so much harder than being, like, there physically with your kids and teaching them in person. Yes. Um, I can't imagine, like, just how how hard that is to, to go from, like, just having a classroom of kids to just having to depend on like messaging back and forth and like, depending on,
0: I don't know. It's just crazy to me, but it is. And I'm going to jump on my soapbox really quickly here. I completely understand that. Like, yes, life has to go on. We can't just stop and, you know, not do any learning, but I think it is absolutely ridiculous that we are expected to teach children who are in a crisis. Everybody is in a crisis right now. The entire world is we are asking them to just forget that all of this uncertainty is happening and you're gonna learn new skills right now in a different way, in a different manner, Like to me, that is that should not be the priority. My priority should be checking in on that well-being. My priority should be like, let's just talk. Tell me how your day's been. You know, did you get to go outside today? Did you go for a walk? Things like that. Like that is the most important thing because again, I've said this several times in several podcasts if you've followed us for a while that the most important thing of teaching is having a relationship with your kids. And right now I feel like they need to know that they're, that I'm still here. I'm still thinking about them. I'm still trying to find ways to create plans and do things for them that are on skills that they already have. But no, I'm not expecting them to learn brand new skills and no, they're not going to be retained. I just feel like we need to shift that focus because our kids are stressed out enough. Case in point, a child just committed suicide over everything that's supposed to be going on. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing. It's
1: just like, the school situation is so fucked right now. And the fact that the, they keep saying they keep pushing the date back further and further to when they'll reopen, but it's like, that's if
0: they even reopen for this year, right? Right. And then I kind of feel like I know, I know we're social distancing. But if we are saying like, you know, you have to wear masks, and you have to do this, and like, you're still allowed to go out, I feel like if you're, if every child like were to wear a mask and have gloves on or do whatever, would that not kind of circumvent the problem and you know let us go back to school?
1: Well, can you trust your kids to keep the gloves on at all times
0: and not stick them in their mouths? No, I feel like they would have to. I mean, have an endless supply of gloves. I don't know. Um, I mean, the older kids, yes. I just feel like if this is gonna be something that is such you know, filled with uncertainty, like there has to be a different way because uh, even that we're also taught that every kid learns differently. Not every kid is going to be able to function online. That's why online college doesn't work for everybody. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's true. What about video lectures? Like at least they'd be able to see you. They feel like you'd be
0: talking to them. Like what if you've made all your lessons into video? Like, so that could work. For some kids, for me, it doesn't because since I teach special ed, I would have to make videos for every single lesson for every single child on what they're working on because every child that I teach has a different goal or a different skill that they're learning. Gotcha. I would be creating like 48 videos a day. A day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just hard and there's no clear answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: yeah.
0: hopefully it gets easier. I mean, that's that's
1: all you can really say at this point. Like, Same. There's, there's no end in sight right now. Like, right now we just have to be super careful and responsible. And, like, my sister's in the other room making masks as we speak.
0: Yeah, I'm making um, masks for my family and them right now. Like, I have all – me and the kids i will have one, and I'm starting to work on my sisters and my mom and all of them. Yeah, so – should be interesting.
1: I'm ready to look like Melina from Mortal Kombat. <laughs>
0: Fuck yeah. I want to see your masks whenever she's done making them.
1: Oh, hell yeah. All the selfies. Um, so anyway, guys, um, on to lighter subjects, which if, if we had any, we would. But we can talk about soundtracks now. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so I'm going to go first today. Um, in case y'all remember way back when, um, our last episode prior to Breakfast Club was... Ready Player One Almost Famous. So feel free to check that out if you haven't already. Um, So uh, like I said, we did decide to get into the spirit of things and we decided that we wanted to choose movies that were perfect for the soundtrack to the end of the world. And um, I felt like there was no better opportunity to cover Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) I knew it! (laughs) So, of course, uh, Shaun of the Dead is uh, a hilarious, not necessarily parody, it's like a zombie movie comedy love story uh, from 2004, and it was directed by a man named Edgar Wright, who is also known for directing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Baby Driver, as well as the other two Coronado trilogy films with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, Hot Fuzz, and At World's End. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. This movie was written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who also stars as Sean. Kate Ashfield plays his girlfriend, Liz. Nick Frost plays his best friend, Ed. Lucy Davis plays Liz's friend, Diane, and Dylan Moran plays David, her other friend. Uh, Penelope Wilton plays Barbara, Sean's mom, and Bill Nye, not the science guy, plays (laughs) Philip, Sean's stepdad, not dad. (laughs) Um, This was a really fun movie to research, uh, not only because I love movies and music and zombies and horror and comedy all rolled into one, but it was really interesting to rewatch this movie at a time like this, uh, when so much of it feels and sounds so significant and almost mirrors what we're going through um and in the most light-hearted humor filled way uh so it kind of made me feel better uh just to sit and watch it and kind of laugh at the you know aspect of the world ending because of zombies um so I decided to cover this movie um and I found out some really cool stuff about the music so Um, for those of you who haven't seen Shaun of the Dead, please go check it out. It's pretty hilarious and I love it. And I think you will too. Um, so the movie opens, uh, with like the universal logo and it's really cool because the music that you're hearing is actually from the opening of the original Dawn of the Dead by George A. Romero. Uh, and so this movie also has a lot of cute little Easter eggs and homages, homages um, to to other iconic horror films of the past. Um, And if you're a horror fan, you'll probably spot all, if not most of them. Um, So the movie opens with Sean. We have a close-up of Sean, and he is at the pub. And he's staring blankly, and we're hearing the song Ghost Town by The Specials. And then we hear the bartender and he says the first lines of the movie, which are last orders, please, which I thought was kind of like, that's another thing that I love about this movie is all the foreshadowing, whether it be like dialogue or visual. Um, It's really fun to spot these little things, especially when you rewatch. So it's Sean and his girlfriend Liz and they're talking about his best friend Ed. And she's basically saying like, She doesn't really like that he brings Ed to all, like, wherever they go. And Sean's like, well, I I bring him because, like, he doesn't have very many friends. And then Ed pops up and he's like, can I get any of you cunts a drink?
0: (laughs) Besties for life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, we're good. And so Liz is just like, well, every time you bring him, like, it makes me feel like I have to bring my flatmates and you don't like them. And it's, like, David and Di, and they're sitting right next to her. And so, um, you know, they're just kind of talking about, like, their relationship. And she's saying, like, you know, even our anniversary, we spent it here at the pub. And, you know, I want to travel. I want to live. I want to see places. And, you know, I've never even met your mom. And they've been dating for quite a while, so it's weird that they haven't met. Um, There's this really funny little Rocky Horror moment where they all, like, say each other's names really fast. It's like, Ed, Sean, guys, Sean, Liz. (laughs) 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 And so then um, Sean's like, Sean tells Liz, like, okay, like, yeah, I know it's been whatever, but things will change, I promise. We'll start tonight. We'll go have a nice dinner somewhere, the place that does all the fish. And things will get better, I promise. And she's like, really? Like, you know, she's skeptical. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of, he kind of makes a face like he he realizes what he said and that he's going to have to follow through with it. And then we hear the bartender one more time and he calls last call.
0: This call.
1: the song that was playing during that scene was Ghost Town by The Specials. Uh, This song is about the UK in 1981 during some very troubling times. This is an apocalyptic reggae song recorded in April 1981 and dropped on June 12, 1981. At the time, the people were becoming very resentful of Margaret Thatcher who was the Prime Minister. Uh, Within one year, unemployment had jumped from 1.5 million to 2.5 million. Racism was already really heavy in society, but to make matters worse, the jobless rate for ethnic minorities was on the rise at 82%. And the Specials, being a multiracial ska band themselves, took this personally. The Specials are a Septet from Coventry, England, formed in 1977. Uh, They are an English two-tone band Two-Tone is um, the name of a genre of British music. It's a fusion of ska, punk, and new wave. Oh, okay. If you can imagine that. At first, their lineup changed a bit, but the first steady group lineup had nine members in it. Uh, Oh, wow. So before deciding to call themselves the Specials, they were called the Automatics, and then they were called the Coventry Automatics. Then they became The Special, a.k.a., and an early fan of theirs was none other than Joe Strummer of The Clash. Um, So when he saw them, he asked them to come on tour in the U.K. with his band. And so they changed their name to The Specials, and soon after that, they recorded their debut album in 1979, produced by Elvis Costello. Um, Oh my God, that's amazing. So cool. So after recording their second album, Conflicts Within the Band began. And so they took a brief break from recording and touring. And when they came back, they recorded Ghost Town, which is a non-album single. And it hit number one in 1981. The band was led by keyboardist Jerry Dahmers, who wrote Ghost Town. He also wrote this in response to a riot in Brixton in 1980, as well as what he was seeing places become on their most recent tour, uh, quote, in Liverpool, all the shops were shuttered up. Everything was closing down. Dahmer said that Margaret Thatcher had gone mad closing down industries. And he says, as he toured, he could see and feel the frustration in the crowd. He would see old women in Glasgow selling their household items on the street for money. Um, At the time, Dahmers had challenged the band to start playing with new sounds. And on their previous album, he kind of went autopilot, so to speak, by using dialed in Muzak style keyboards. But this time he wanted to do something different. Uh, His goal was for this song to sound a bit Middle Eastern, like a prophecy of doom. The song features the, quote, dreaded diminished chord, or as some people would refer to it, the devil's chord, which, according to some, could get you hung in the Middle Ages just for playing it. Oh, uh, wow. A transcendent 2000 synthesizer creates the ghostly sounds at the beginning of the song. And the day before this song hit number one, riots broke out all across Britain. That's crazy. Yeah. So... Um, I had to pick this song not only because it's the opening of the movie and it kind of sets the tone for Sean's relationship with his girlfriend and has zero to do with the zombies at all. Um, I just felt like this song is so significant right now, especially the lyrics. Uh, Some of the lyrics include, this town is coming like a ghost town, all the clubs have closed down. This place is coming like a ghost town, bands won't play no more. Do you remember the good old days before the ghost town? We danced and sang and the music played in the boom town. Government leaving the youth on the shelf. This place is becoming like a ghost town. No job can be found in this country. Can't go on no more. The people getting angry. Wow, those lyrics are deep. Yeah, and it's... I hate to say it, but I mean, I've always kind of believed the theory that history will always repeat itself and then that's just the way it is and that's the way it will be until the end of time right unless we drastically change things which
0: we know what's going to
1: happen exactly and people are constantly referring to like oh a hundred years ago the plague and a hundred years before that this and it's like well you know what (laughs) this is kind of like that and you wonder why go read the history books you fucking find out why and so it's um That's just when I was reading about this and granted it was a completely different country under completely different types of government. Um, It's another, it's another type of like universal song, um, especially at a time like this when I think everybody can relate to just the frustration and the uncertainty, like you said before, Um, you know, uh, a song like this, um, I'm not a fan of reggae. Mm -hmm. At least I didn't think I was. Um, but I can really appreciate this song now more than ever um, because it's it's like, it. I mean, obviously it was art imitating life, but now it's like art is imitating this life. So that song starts off the movie. Um, so then we get the opening credits and we see people at work and we see like people like working as cashiers or shopping cart wranglers or they're waiting for the bus and everyone looks like zombies already uh everyone's mm-hmm. very like just automatic everyone's just kind of robotic everyone it everything just looks very mundane and even the colors are kind of muted and so we see that sean lives in a flat with pete and ed and pete actually like has a job but ed doesn't actually do shit around the house like plays video games and that's it sounds about right <laughs> and then um We also learn that like Sean has like this deadbeat job at like an appliance store and he doesn't have a great relationship with his stepdad. And then um, there's this really cool scene that I particularly like because the dialogue, a lot of the dialogue in this movie repeats um, and the, the context and the meaning of it changes as the movie progresses. So one of the first interactions that he has with a character is Yvonne. He runs into his friend Yvonne in the street and she's like, how you doing? And he's like surviving. And she's like, Uh, She asked about Liz, like, oh, are you still together? He's like, yeah, three years. And she's like, oh, glad somebody made it. Like, you know, like, (laughs) I'm glad someone's together. (laughs) Um, And as all this is happening, there's like an accident in the background and an ambulance pops up and there's like some panic going on. And they notice it, but they don't pay attention. They're actually talking louder, trying to hear each other over the sirens, but they're not actually giving a fuck about what's happening. So it's, that's another really funny thing about the movie. It's like you're constantly seeing signs that the zombie apocalypse has started but Sean is just so wrapped up in his own life that he's not really- Yes.
0: (laughs) And it's almost like comical. Like, how do you not notice? Like, how do you not see what is happening around you? And he's just so oblivious. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And honestly, like,
1: I found myself kind of relating to it because, like, because I'm an introvert, I didn't learn about the severity of the virus until they, like, shut down the rodeo. (laughs) Like, I have (laughs) been so sheltered. I mean, I'd heard about it, but I didn't like, I guess I didn't think that it would spread the way it did. Like I didn't, I heard about it like in January and it it, yeah. it was so early and you really, I don't think, I mean, of course the fucking government is just shit at communication. So how the fuck would we
0: know anything? Right. Um, right. Well, even that, I feel like now there's so much miscommunication. Like, look, if we're going to be in quarantine, like quarantine the shit, you know what I mean? Like lock it down. Yeah. Don't like okay, but you guys can go to parks, you know. You yeah, y'all can go to the grocery store. Like if you want us to change things, like you've got to be strict about it. Like cuz I feel like it's very gray and that's not going to fix anything. No. Yeah, you're right. And I I think I think another
1: really big uh issue right now is all of the misinformation thanks to the internet and corrupt news sites so um, so Sean fucks up the reservation for him and Liz so like the nice place is all booked up and so she try he tries to get her to meet at the Winchester which is what she said she does not want to do anymore and so she hangs up on him he goes to her flat to pick her up and David and Diane are there and like they go into the other room and she's like no I'm not gonna go to the Winchester with you I'm gonna go out with David and die." which I'm like zombie apocalypse has already happened where the fuck are you gonna go um but she's like, I'm gonna go out with David and die and Sean's like let's go out together and she's like oh you hang out with my friends a failed actress and a twat and he's like harsh and she's like your words and he's like I did not call Diane a failed actress <laughs> it gets me every fucking time it's the greatest. It's the greatest fucking bit of dialogue.
0: He is hilarious He's in this so movie.
1: This script is fucking gold, dude. It was awesome. Um, and so then, um, so then they sit and end up having like a serious talk. She says, "If I don't do something, I'm gonna end up in that pub every night for the rest of my life, like those other sad old fuckers, drinking myself to death, wondering what the hell happened." And that, and it's a very honest response to her frustrations with him. And she breaks up with him. So Sean cries and he goes to the Winchester and Ed is just like, fuck her. <laughs> so they drink, they just drink until the bar closes. And then, so Sean is still sad. He, he misses her. He loves her. And Ed's just like, Hey, you know, I know you're sad. But I'm not going to bombard you with a bunch of cliches. You know, I'm not going to say there's plenty of fish in the sea. I'm not going to say if you love her, let her go. But I will say this. It's not the end of the world. And then you hear like... John, John, John. And then you hear like a banging on the door. And you saw like a shadow like creeping up behind Ed. And it's someone trying to get in. And John, the owner, is like, we're closed. And then the person stops banging and they walk away, and it's a it's a it's a fun little jump scare, and that's kind of when the movie really starts rolling. Um, so, the next morning, zombie apocalypse has hit. Like, the streets are empty, car alarms are blaring, windshield is broken. Like, Sean doesn't notice any of this. Like, he goes to the store, like usual. He doesn't even see the bloody handprints on the cooler when he gets a Coke. And, like, he doesn't notice anything is weird until he actually gets home. And so him and Ed actually encounter a few zombies. And it's not until they actually have to kill one that they're like, okay, Let's watch the news. What's happening? Um, so they end up finding out that the virus is spread by getting bitten. And so Sean calls his mom. He can't get a hold of Liz. And the mom is like, oh, I'm fine. But Philip was bitten. And Sean, mm. Sean's like, Sean doesn't really like his stepdad. So he's not terribly broken up about that. He's like, oh, we might have to kill my stepdad. And, um, he, and so he tells his mom, like, hey, we're going to come get you. She's like, I don't want to be a baba. And Ed's like, we're coming to get you, Barbara." Which is a beautiful homage to *Night of the Living Dead*, the original. Um, I love the way he says it; it's so funny. And if you've seen the original *Night of the Living Dead*, you know um, that very famous, "They're coming to get you, Barbara." So, um, so but the way says, he says it, yeah, wow. yeah, it's great. He did a, he did a really good job with that delivery. I die. <laughs> and so then, um, so they sit down and they're like game planning, right? And so Ed's like, okay, what's the plan? And as Sean tells him the plan, we see, like, the scenes play out like they're playing out in his imagination, like the way he thinks they're going to go. And as we see his plan and all the variations of it, we're hearing the song Zombie by Goblin. So Sean explains his master plan. So first he decides like, okay, we're going to take Pete's car, go to mom's, kill Philip, take mom to Liz's, hole up and wait for everything to blow over. And Ed's like, why Liz? And Sean's like, because I love her. And Ed's like, all right, gay. (laughs)
0: I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's funny. And so then, um. And then, uh, but then Ed's like, "Well, I want to go somewhere where I'm comfortable. Like, I want to be able to smoke. I want to be able to drink." And he, you know, so then Sean decides, "Okay, never mind. Let's uh, let's take Pete's car, go to mom's, kill Philip, take mom, pick up Liz, bring her here, and wait for all this to blow over." And then Ed's like, "Yeah, but you really want to bring her here? I mean, look at the state of it. And the fact is, like, this place was a mess before the zombies. <laughs> now they just happen to have a dead zombie in their living room." <laughs> so they're like no we can't bring her here. So then finally he's like okay I want to go somewhere safe. I want to go somewhere familiar. So obviously Sean changes the plan too. Okay, take Pete's car. Go to mom's. Kill Philip. Take mom. Pick up Liz. Go to the Winchester and wait for all of this to blow over. Yes, that's the winner. <laughs> and uh, and in every plan Sean and everyone is super happy and they're cheering at the end and they're all having a drink and they're all just going to kind of like, quarantine themselves until the virus is gone, <laughs> which doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> yes. Hey guys, the answer was in Shaun of the Dead the whole time. So, um, <laughs> and so, of course, like I said, um, every time we saw his plan play out in his head, at least, we were hearing it underscored by zombie. So this was really fun to research um, because of just the rabbit hole that it took me down. Um, I was already really familiar with Goblin um, because I know that they have collaborated a lot with Dario Argento, who to some is the master of horror. Dario Argento's, probably his best known works include Suspiria, Deep Red, Opera, and Phenomena. Um, Not a Scott Steiner thing, but Phenomena. (laughs) And... um, When I first was exposed to Goblin, it was through Suspiria, um, which is a great film, um, was recently remade, uh, and the entire score was done by Tom York. So that was really cool. Uh, But as far as Goblin and Shaun of the Dead, uh, it all dates back to the original Dawn of the Dead. Um, So... The track Zombie that plays during Sean's Plan is actually played in various scenes of the original Dawn of the Dead by George A. Romero. Um, Mm -hmm. This depends on the version that you saw. So uh, I've only ever seen the extra long two hour, 34 minute, 45 second version of Dawn of the Dead. I know there's like theatrical cut, which is like two hours, seven minutes. I don't, I have no idea what the changes are aside from the music. I know some of the jokes are cut. Uh, the long version is the European version, and I'll get into that la- a little later. Um, so, Goblin's score is heavily used in the European version of Dawn of the Dead, while the US version only used elements of the score coupled with stock music. Uh, so, Dawn of the Dead, the original at least, Um, The original Dawn of the Dead can be considered George A. Romero's masterpiece, and fellow master of horror Dario Argento had a hand in the making of the film. The two were fans of each other's work, and when Dario Argento heard that George Romero was considering a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, it was Argento's idea for Romero to come to Rome and write the script, because he said he would have no distractions there. So the script was written in three weeks, and Argento went on to provide most of the soundtrack for the film and in exchange for the rights to edit the film however he wanted for foreign markets, he helped with the funding. Uh, Romero once said, there are roughly 10 different versions of Dawn of the Dead.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: I can't I, even imagine. I yeah, it's crazy. And uh, this is probably my favorite sentence in my entire like history of doing research for this podcast in all 18 episodes. It was Dario Argento who introduced George A. Romero to Goblin. I just think that's... (laughs) There's a lot of awesomeness in that sentence. Um, Edgar Wright refers to this track as a classic track by acid jazz prog rockers, um, which now makes me feel like I need to drop acid and listen to Goblin. Um, They have also gone by the names Back to the Goblin, New Goblin, Goblin Rebirth, the Goblin Keys, The Goblins, and Claudio Simonetti's Goblin. They are known for their music and collaborating with filmmaker Dario Argento, of course. The band were recording as Cherry Five when they found out that the director was looking for a rock band to do his soundtrack. The band replaced a famous jazz musician named Giorgio Gaslini. The band changed their name to Goblin right before recording the soundtrack. And they composed three of the featured tracks. I, I mean, I could go on. There's so much about, like, the collaborations between Dario and Goblin. Um, my personal favorite, I you know, I mentioned it, is Suspiria. Um, I think that's probably one of their best collabs, if not the best. Um, but the, this movie, of course, made me revisit the original Dawn of the Dead, so I had that on in the background a couple of days. And um, it's so like, yeah, it plays randomly throughout, it plays the beginning, it plays like as they're escaping the news station. Like, it goblin appears a lot in the extended cut. If you get a chance, I highly recommend. Finding the original Dawn of the Dead, two-hour, 34-minute, 45-second version. It is the best one. It's the only one I've seen, so it's the best. And um, the, yeah, <laughs> the music is, is very well done. It's specifically done for that movie. And as an homage to the movie and also a callback and reference, uh, it was used in Shaun of the Dead, which I thought was a really good choice. That's Awesome. So Sean and Ed are about to leave the flat to go get mom. And um, Sean looks outside and Ed's like, are these zombies out there? He's like, don't say that. Ed's like, what? He's like, that. The Z word. He's like, why? He's like, because it's ridiculous. (laughs) And this is, of course, a reference to the fact that very few zombie movies actually use the word zombie. Um, Yep. Walking Dead calls them walkers. Or, like, whenever a new character is introduced on Walking Dead, they have a new name for it, like Deadhead or some shit like that. Um, but, like, and when I rewatched the original Dawn of the Dead, fucking Ken Forhey straight up calls them zombies. So it's yes. it's not entirely accurate, but it's definitely not used commonly. Like, I know the remake of the Dawn of the Dead, they never used it once. Yeah. Um, And just depending on, I think it just depends on the script writer and the movie and the director, but uh, very few of them actually call them zombies because in a lot of zombie movies, zombie movies aren't canon. Like zombie movies don't exist in zombie movies. It's not like Scream. You know, right. Like right. in Scream, they knew about Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and shit like that. But in zombie movies, it's like they've never heard of zombies and they've never seen a zombie movie.
0: Right. So, never seen a movie, never a magazine or anything mentioned that. Any kind of pop culture reference. Exactly.
1: Um, so that's what's great about Shot of the Dead is that it takes all those references and it just kind of turns them on their heads. Um, so that's, that's one reference that I loved and had to include. Um, so they get in Pete's car and they're driving off and they're about to get bombarded by these zombies, but they drive off and they hear like the news, uh, they're talking about how the dead are returning to life and attacking the living. And instead of listening to the news, Ed's like, let's put something else on. So he pulls out a tape and he sticks the tape in and he starts blasting Orpheus by ash. So they're driving away from the house and then they hit someone and at first they stop because Sean's worried, but Ed's like, whatever, he's going to be dead anyway. And then they see the man like, (laughs) they see the man like reanimate and they're like, oh, thank God. And then they drive off. And so then, so they get to mom's house and Ed is like in love with the Jaguar. There's a Jaguar in the driveway. He's like, wow, that's a gorgeous car. And Sean's like, yeah, it's Phillips. I'm not allowed to drive it. He got mad at me once for sticking a candy bar in the glove box and, you know, shit like that. <laughs> so um, so Sean's like, okay, let's go inside. And Ed's like, why don't I stay here? He's like, I'll watch the car. If anything happens, I'll honk. And Sean's like, okay, fine, whatever. So Sean gets out of the car. He runs to the house. And Ed's like, don't forget to kill Philip. <laughs> <laughs> So Orpheus by Ash is the second single from the band's fifth album, Meltdown. The single was released on May 3rd, 2004, and the album was released on May 17th, 2004. It found a spot on the UK singles charts, Lucky number 13. Uh, The B-side to this single was a song called Everybody's Happy Nowadays, which is also featured in Shaun of the Dead. They play it in the scene where he's buying flowers, and then it's also the second song during the ending credits. Orpheus was written by Tim Wheeler, lead vocal and lead guitarist of Ash. They are a rock band of Northern Irish descent, and they formed in the late 80s. Founding members include bassist Mark Hamilton and drummer Rick McMurray. It wasn't until the late 90s when touring with Weezer that they realized that they felt limited as a three-piece, so they added a second guitarist and vocalist, Charlotte Hatherley. Their third album, Nuclear Sounds from 1998, flopped right around the time that the band was feeling the pressures of touring. Eventually, Wheeler disappeared, and when he reappeared, he made a quote, self-depreciating blood, drug, and sex-fueled music video for their song Numbskull, um, which was also featured on the failed album. Ash almost went bankrupt, and the band got together to write songs, and this resulted in their successful album, Free All Angels. This is a cool little tidbit, uh, but it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, In 2003, news leaked about a horror film that Ash was working on, only described as a, quote, teen slasher called Slashed. Apparently, it was shot on a video camcorder during their tour in the U.S. and the U.K., Jed Shepard wrote the screenplay, and Alexander Marks directed it. Some of the actors, quote-unquote, featured in the film include Chris Martin and Johnny Buckland of Coldplay as the detectives. Yeah, they play detectives. Also in the film, Moby as himself and Dave Grohl as himself. (laughs) Shut up. The film has never been released to the public oh yeah i know it sucks um as far as ash goes charlotte hatherley eventually left the group and the remaining original three are still active that's awesome that was pretty such a cool tidbit i know i and uh, yeah i I went ahead and like searched it just to see like what i could find on it um because obviously that was like 2003. So it's like, well, maybe it leaked onto the internet somehow, um, and I didn't find anything. I didn't find video clips. I didn't look very far, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But what I did find was like, um, it has an IMDb page with like zero info on it, and someone left a review as if they'd seen it. But I'm like, how the fuck did you see it? Um, So anyway, it probably looks like a shitty student film or something, but I'm (laughs) curious. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if that ever surfaces. But I don't know, man, it's been like 16 years. So we'll see. Um, So we get a little further in. Philip gets attacked when they try to leave Barbara's house. So uh, he's bleeding. He's holding onto his neck. But they bring him anyway to pick up Liz and David and die. So now everyone's cramped in this car. uh, Which, by the way, they switched to the Jaguar because Ed purposely crashed Pete's car. So they could take the Jaguar. (laughs) Fucking stupid, whatever. Um, And so then um, they, so Philip turns into a zombie and they abandon the car with him in it. Which I always thought was stupid. Same, but whatever. I guess eventually the zombies are in the streets, so they can't really get far with the car. To be fair, I don't know. I mean, uh, a, I they would have had to. They would have had to drive out to the country where like it's empty, or something. Right. I don't know. I don't know.
0: But I thought that was dumb. I um, think one thing. Long term, it was a short term decision. It wasn't a long term decision. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I guess I mean I think at the time maybe just in the excitement of things it was easier for them to get out than to get him out, but. Mm-hmm. he was a zombie just open the door let him fall out, right, <laughs> right. them out. <laughs> my strategies would be so different if it were me um but Damn. whatever man I wouldn't have left the house so
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, like y'all can come over if you can find a way but right. I'm not coming to get you <laughs> right. right I'll be here when y'all are out there that's cool
1: <laughs> so um <laughs> so then um they abandon the car and they're walking through a bunch of like backyards to get to the Winchester. And Barbara sees a zombie that she thought she knew. And we don't really see their exchange, but eventually like Sean gets into a fight with the zombie. And so they decide that in order to cross the street to get to the Winchester, they're all going to pretend to be zombies. So they're all like, like they're like they're walking like fucking zombies, but they all look really awful. They are the worst zombies ever. <laughs> awful. Just Mm -mm. no they they should at least be able to smell them right i mean it's hot flesh i always thought that was weird it wasn't thought out yeah like it's kind of like when you're at a mexican restaurant and like the sizzling fajitas like walk by isn't that what they would smell like i'm sorry (laughs)
0: I'm (laughs) i'm
1: sorry anyway so then um so then they get into the okay so they get to the pub but as soon as they get to the door they get noticed and so sean distracts the zombies and so they all get inside while he runs them around the back and then they think they're safe inside the pub but sean realizes that the zombies have followed him and that they're kind of closing in on them and so that's when they get like a jump scare kind of thing from the owner john who was actually in the pub the whole time and he's a zombie. Myself a real good time. I feel alive. So then just out of nowhere, the jukebox starts up and it's on random and they start playing Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. So then Sean starts barking orders as John is, like, closing in on them. And the other zombies are, like, still banging on the windows and doors. So Sean tells Diane to move Barbara to somewhere safe. He tells David to kill the queen, or basically turn off the jukebox. And then he tells Liz and Ed to grab some weaponry. And then Ed is like, oh, let's use the rifle on top of the bar. And Sean's like, it's not real, Ed. And so, like, the whole movie he's been insisting, like, that rifle is not real. And so then we, what about a lit bottle? And we put a cloth in it and light it up. And then Sean's like, no, I'm thinking pool. So he jumps over the pool table, he grabs the pool sticks, and the three of them, they all grab the pool sticks and they start beating John like to the rhythm of the song. So it's like a very choreographed like fight. But they're not even, they're just kind of whacking him. They're not even trying to behead him, they're not trying to stab him. They're just like whacking him with these pool sticks. And so it's not very effective, obviously. Don't stop me. And so David can't turn off the jukebox. And so Sean's like, well, go go flip the fuse. So David goes to the room, to like the back room, and he's like flipping all the fuses, trying to figure out like which one turns off the music. But instead he's actually turning off and on all the lights. And mm-hmm. so everything outside the Winchester is just lighting up off and on, off and on. And the zombies are just like, they're also kind of going with the rhythm of the music. And it looks like a concert. <laughs> that is really funny and so the flashing lights just kind of adds to like that concert feel and um, then as he's flipping the lights he notices that there's hordes of zombies outside the door and so he like backs away from the room and Sean's like why is Queen still on and David's like we have a situation and then like it gets to the point where like Liz is fighting off John with the fire extinguisher and then Diane starts throwing darts to like help fight off john and she accidentally like throws one into sean's like head <laughs> it, looks, it looks really brutal because it's like a deep long like dart and um so and it's a real dart it's not the plastic ones yes exactly so she hits him and he's like ah and then uh so finally ed pulls the rifle down and he throws it to sean so Sean obviously Still still thinks it's fake, so he doesn't shoot it. So he hits John with it. And then he shoves John headfirst into the jukebox. And everything just crashes. And finally, the music gets cut off. (laughs) Hmm. Um, So this is a really fun scene. Um, Of course, a fight scene set to a happy song is pretty classic, I think. I think that's a really fun move in movies. Um, It was actually Edgar Wright's idea to have a violent scene set to an upbeat song like that. He is a huge Queen fan. It's sort of his director trademark for the characters to be listening to the song that's scoring the scene. Uh, so, like, the characters are hearing the same song that the audience is, um, as well as having the action kind of in sync with the music. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever seen, like, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, uh, exact same technique. I haven't seen Baby Driver, but I imagine it would be similar. Or at least it pops up. Um, the music, obviously, could not be playing while they were shooting because they have to be able to hear, which I always thought is kind of funny, And I think I mentioned this before, like in the party scenes, like there's not actually any music playing. So people are just kind of dancing to nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So so it's kind of funny to think of this scene happening in complete silence, um, which is, of course, the way they have to shoot it. Um, So because there couldn't be any music playing, the actors actually wore earbuds in their ears to keep them in rhythm with the song. Uh, oh, smart. Yeah, which I thought was a really good technique. And then, um, and even David is flipping the switches in time with the music. So if you go back and look, everything is really like on beat. Um, I love that. For this particular scene, 1,100 extras were hired as zombies and they were each paid one pound. What? Yeah. Um, what does
0: one pound translate to? I
1: don't know. Let me look it up. Let's see. One pound, I guess. Is it London. Yeah, I think so. Okay. UK. Okay, yeah. UK money into American. Uh, is that right?
0: A dollar and twenty-three cents. Shut up! Is that really? Right? Well, I mean, it could be. I I can see that happening though because I know a lot of people who like want to be extras or want to be zombies, those people actually don't get paid because those movies are like B movies. You know, they're not like A-lister movies where you have like Brad Pitt or, you know, someone else who's an A-lister in it. So they those those background actors get paid. In movies like this, I can totally see them working for like, hey, we'll give you beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like the, the Mexicans you pick up from Home Depot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get, I get where
1: you're going with that. Yes. Um, yeah. So they, okay. Then I guess that sounds accurate then. So in U S money, it's a dollar and 23 cents. Um, wow. i wrong guys. I just did a quick Google. Don't hate mail me. Um, so, um what's funny is they almost didn't even use this song. Uh, Edgar Wright almost used Rasputin by Boney M. So Hmm. I think they made the better choice. Of course, for those of you who don't know the song, it is by British rock band Queen from their album Jazz, which was their seventh studio album, released November 10th, 1978. This song was written by Freddie Mercury. The band recorded this track at a place called Super Bear Studios in France back in August of 1978. Over the years, this has become one of Queen's most popular songs. It only charted to number 86 in the US, but it made it all the way to number 9 in the UK. A reader's poll by Rolling Stone in 2014 found this to be considered the third best Queen song. Despite the rocky start, the song gained popularity through airplay, commercials, TV, film, and covers. While the song is beloved by many, one person who is not a big fan of it is the band's guitarist, Brian May. Wow. He felt like the song was glorifying Freddie's less than desirable antics. Uh, Brian May says that he struggled with the lyrics because they alluded to a time when Freddie was taking a lot of drugs and being promiscuous with various men and was just ultimately not in a good place at the time. Um, so it, he just felt like it sent the wrong message, um, as if like all these things were a positive thing when really they weren't. Um, so Queen at the time of recording consisted of Freddie Mercury, Brian May, Roger Taylor, and John Deacon. The song found a rebirth when it was featured in Shaun of the Dead as it was introduced to horror and comedy fans alike yes so um i thought that's that's a really fun scene to watch um i like i said i love we love juxtaposition we've talked about this before um and i just think it's it's fun to see like a scene like that like again i i know i mentioned watchmen a lot but it's like those really violent scenes with like a really happy like fun song playing (laughs) instead of something foreboding Mm -hmm. and menacing so then finally, like they realize like the zombies are going to go ahead and break in. So they need to be ready. And Sean says this great quote, which I think is also significant right now. He says, as Bertrand Russell once said, the only thing that will redeem mankind is cooperation. And he says, I think we can all appreciate the relevance of that now. So it turns out Barbara got bitten. Um, and so they find out and she dies. And Sean ultimately decides that he has to shoot her. Um, David and Sean argue and David tries to shoot him and then he tries to leave but the zombies invade and they rip him apart which is such a brutal fucking scene like they rip him from the inside out they rip his legs and arms off they rip his head off like it is ridiculous and it's funny and it's disgusting at the same time and again I watched it on acid so I was like what the fuck (laughs) it was pretty horrifying and then all hell breaks loose like diane runs out because she's like i'm coming david and it's like dude they ripped him apart where where are you going where are you going she (laughs) opens the door she lets them in she starts fighting them off she disappears ed gets bitten there's chaos sean starts a fire The zombies are in the bar so sean ed and liz they hide behind the bar and when the zombies start to get in they decide to like escape through the cellar and they're going to try to get out onto the street uh but they can't figure out the lift so they sit in the cellar and sean and liz talk about like well there's two bullets left so like they decide they're gonna like kill themselves And so then uh, when they're about to light a cigarette, like their last cigarette before they do it, they find the button to work the lift. And so they're able to escape the cellar and they leave Ed behind because he's like, oh, I'll just hold you back. So he stays. And as soon as they're ready to fight and as soon as the zombies notice them, fucking armed forces come in, big trucks, guns, and they just start blasting it's like anyway i started shooting and it's like they just start (laughs) like all the zombies just go down rounds of bullets like machine guns all kinds of shit like they fucking took over and so all the zombies are dead armed forces are moving in and then we see yvonne again and she pops up and she's like sean she comes up to him and liz and she's like how you doing and they're like surviving And this is is another instance where the dialogue repeats. And she's like, they're taking us someplace safe. Is it just the two of you? And they nod. And she's like, well, glad somebody made it. And then they leave. And so then we get a time lapse and six months have passed. And now there's like all these trashy shows about the zombies. There's game shows using zombies, like talk shows where someone is married to a zombie. She's like, I still love him. He's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And so then like Sean is like flipping through like, and then he finds the news and they have a headline called remembering Z day. And the newscaster voiceover says, Six months on, and to many, the events of Z-Day must seem like a bad dream. Which, like, again, another significant thing, because it's like, I hope we get to the point where we feel like this, like, didn't happen. You know what I mean? Right. Um, like, I hope that one day we get to a, a sense of normalcy where we can look back and be like, oh, my God, you remember how crazy that was? Like, we lived through that. Um, so you know, right now it does kind of feel like the middle of the bad dream and you're in sleep paralysis and you can't wake yourself up from it. But like hopefully there will come a time where we can look back on it and not necessarily laugh, but like uh just kind of take a deep breath that it passed. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So um I thought that was uh I wanted to include that quote. And so the movie is ending and Sean and Liz are still together, they're living in his flat and um they're you know they're totally happy they're gonna drink tea and then they're gonna go to the pub and so he's like oh i'm gonna pop into the shed for a little bit she's like okay go ahead and so he goes into the shed in his backyard and and there's ed as a zombie chained up (laughs) Mm -hmm. with his video games and as they sit down together to play video games we hear you're my best friend by queen this song was written by bass player John Deacon. This song was first featured on the band's fourth studio album entitled A Night at the Opera. The album was released on November 21st, 1975 and the song would be released as a single in spring 1976. When he wrote the song, Deacon was writing about his wife Veronica. On the track, Deacon plays both the bass and the Wurlitzer electric piano. However, when it would be performed live, Freddie played piano and it was a grand piano instead. The song peaked at number 7 in the UK and number 16 on the US Billboard Hot 100. The song has been featured in various shows and films, including Will and Grace, My Name Is Earl, The King of Queens, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, and the Secret Life of Pets, and The Simpsons. Um, so I love this song. I, <laughs> um, it's. I think it's. I know it's not cool to unlike, like to dislike Queen, <clears throat> but I told you guys I'm full of unpopular opinions,
0: right? I'm not a big fan of Queen Queen is I I love you Queen is one of my favorite yeah I know it's it that's the thing that's the thing it's like a lot of
1: people's favorite and I'm like it's not that it's not that their fans turn me off of Queen it's I don't know man nothing of course I'm not criticizing or anything and I'm not I'm not shitting on your love for them but I just, I don't know. They're a pander band. I just, I'm, I, I've never been able to turn on Queen and just like jam. Like I, I can't have them on in the background. Like it's not, it's not something that I would.
0: The, <laughs>
1: they're not on my playlist. I don't know. I'm sorry,
0: guys. I know you probably no, hate I me by right now. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think of Queen as like a band that I can just jam to. But they are like to me my love for them comes because of their influence that they've had and music. Um, and they are one of the most influential rock bands who were not afraid of like experimenting just like the Beatles and other bands that we've covered here. But I totally respect your opinion for not loving them. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that I, I'm
1: not saying that I would never listen to them. I mean, obviously my friends love them. Alan loved them. Mm-hmm. King Finn covered them for an entire set. Like, that was fun. I liked I liked Queen Finn. That was cool, um, but I don't know. I just I've never been able to get into Queen. I do have respect for of course for Freddie Mercury. It's kind of like I know I've brought this up before, but my stance is very similar to like Hansel with Sting, where it's like oh I don't actually listen to his music, but the fact that he's making it, I respect that. <laughs> That's just kind of how I feel about Queen. Um, I had mixed feelings when they continued with Adam Lambert. Um, but I mean, hey, that's, that's great too. Whatever. That's cool. Adam Lambert's cool. Brian Mays, fucking awesome. So they're going to do what they want. Um, no one will ever compare to Freddie. No, but, uh, yeah, no, but, um, I understand that some bands want to go on. Some bands want to honor the legacy of, of their fallen bandmates and, um, that I can respect. That I understand, Um, and by all means, you know. So I love that they're still doing their thing, um, even if I'm not necessarily a part of it. It's all good. <laughs> I'll allow it. Um, so anyway, guys, that was my movie. Uh, my honorable mentions include If You Leave Me Now by Chicago uh, and Panic by The Smiths. Uh, both of them were played very briefly in the film. And I do have a little bit of trivia on facts that I want to share that I thought were really cool. Um, Of course, Shaun of the Dead is a take on the title Dawn of the Dead. Shaun, if you notice, he works at an electric appliance store called Forhee Electric, which is named after Ken Forhee, who starred in the original Dawn of the Dead and had a cameo in the remake. Um, Mary, who is the zombie that they find in the yard, if you look closely at her name tag, she works at a place called Landis, which is named after John Landis, who directed the thriller Michael Jackson video, as well as an American werewolf in London. Um, and speaking of an American Werewolf in London, there is a jump scare in Shaun of the Dead where he finds Pete in the shower and he sees his shadow in the mirror first. And that, um, that reveal is actually framed almost exactly like a scene in an American Werewolf in London. At the end credits, of course, uh, You're My Best Friend plays into the ending credits and then we hear Everybody's Happy Nowadays. And then the third song for the ending credits is the mall Muzak from the original Dawn of the Dead, which oh, yes. is really cheery. And if you watch the original Dawn of the Dead, it's really funny to hear that track because you're just watching the zombies wander around the mall and like like fall over stuff. And it's like a really happy, like go lucky music track with no lyrics. I oh, um, love it. So it's it's really funny. Um and I love that it plays at the end of the at the end credits, because again, another homage. And then um, this was kind of a cute little uh, tidbit because it involved soundtracks. Um, In the scene where Sean and Ed throw vinyl at the zombies, uh, one of the albums thrown was New Order's Blue Monday. And (laughs) yeah, so years after the movie was released, Simon Pegg met some of the members of New Order and he, he says that they were, quote, ever so pleased that we threw Blue Monday. Um, <laughs> another album that was thrown was the Batman soundtrack by Prince, which Peg describes as a mess. Edgar Wright is a fan of Prince, but he says that that soundtrack was the start of the, quote, downfall. I liked the Batman. I don't know. Maybe I
0: just have shitty taste. But I liked it. I didn't mind it. I didn't. I did too. Huh? I have to go back and like really listen and yeah. see. Maybe, maybe they're talking about like the the matching up of the scenes. I don't know. I will have to look into that one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that makes me want to rewatch
1: Batman for sure. But anyway, sure, that was my movie. Um, it's a, again a humorous little take on a on a virus that can spread quickly through human contact. Uh, way to go. go! So important that we quarantine right now, um, and just. Um, I know that uh, we use movies and entertainment to kind of escape reality. I mean, but honestly, it, <laughs> lately I've been having trouble getting distracted just because everything just leads back to this timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one thing that came to mind when I was watching this movie um, during these current events uh, was a quote that I heard from another movie um, a friend of mine who is an actress was in this like indie film. And I don't remember what it was called. But I remember like the tagline, which has always stuck with me. And after I saw this movie, it kind of got in my head again. And it, I thought it was really fitting for what's happening and what people are going through. And the quote basically says, if you don't change, the world will find a way to change you. And I think that's exactly what happened to Sean. And I think that this movie just has an overall really fun message. Um, It has a great story. And of course, it has a great soundtrack, which you can listen to before we all die. So I hope you guys enjoy that. They will all be on the playlist. And now it's Frankie's turn.
0: Okay, guys. So for my apocalyptic comedy um, of the week, I went with a little bit of a different kind of end-of-the-world movie uh, than Misa and her zombies. And I went more um, biblical, I guess. And so my film is going to be the 2013 American apocalyptic comedy that was written, directed, and co-produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And that is the movie This is the End. This was their directorial debut um, together. And it was loosely adapted off of a short film that they did called Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse back in 2007, um, which they also wrote and then helped direct with their friend. This movie is different because it stars a bunch of different people as themselves, but kind of like a fictional version of how we might think these actors are outside of roles that they play. Um, And so it does have James Franco, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Jay Burchell, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Michael Sarah, Emma Watson, Rihanna, Paul Rudd, Channing Tatum, Kevin Hart. It's got a whole bunch of people in here. Um, and again, they all play kind of like a fictional version of themselves. Um, this movie was filmed on a $32 million budget, and it grossed more than $126 million, even though it is kind of raunchy i guess i know misa has seen it once um i don't know if you remember kind of the premise misa
1: it i okay i saw it in theaters so like when it was new um wow. i remember it being fucking hilarious and i have like a huge crush on seth rogan um yeah. <laughs> so but of course it yeah it's raunchy in the sense that
0: like i guess on the level of knocked up maybe more Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, it's not like raunchier than any other Seth Rogen movie. It's your typical,
1: yeah, it's your Seth Rogen raunchiness with those guys.
0: Yeah. It's what you'd expect. (laughs) Yeah. They're the little click and, you know, they're dirty and hilarious. And who doesn't love that, especially in this time? So, um, like I said, this movie did really well. It won several awards. It won um, American Comedy Awards. It won um, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films. And it was nominated for some other awards also. Um in particular, based on its soundtrack. This movie is also different in that it does have a soundtrack as well as a score. And so there's a lot of music in this movie. And it was so hard to narrow it down, but I tried my very best. And so for those of you who haven't seen this movie, I'm going to spoil a little bit for you. Basically, we open up on Jay arriving to Los Angeles to visit his friend, Seth Rogen. And again, everyone plays themselves. So Seth and him are, you know, reuniting. They haven't seen each other for a year or so. And they're like, let's go eat Carl Jr. And Seth has this hilarious scene where he's like, oh, I can't, you um, you know, I'm fasting and, you know, I can't have gluten. He's like, you know, gluten's just a vague term, like a carb, gluten, alcohol, gluten. And I'm like, no, Seth, that's not how this works. And <laughs> Jay <is> not <laughs> how any of us And Jay is like, that's not even how it works. And then the the next scene is they're both eating these awesome looking burgers. And Seth is like, each bite is better than the next. And it's just it's hilarious. So then they get to Seth's house. And you know, uh, Seth has this little setup of everything that Jay loves, which includes like all of this amazing weed and candy and video games and a 3d TV and everything. Um, And it becomes apparent that Jay does not enjoy coming to Los Angeles because of Seth's you know, new friends that he has from acting. And so they spend hours and hours and hours, you know, smoking, doing whatever. And then they're both kind of like, oh man, we need a break. And he's like, Seth is like, let's go to James Franco's house. He's supposed to be having this epic party. And, you know, he's like, I promise I won't leave you. And Jay's not really on board, but he's like, all right, you know, you did such a great job, like setting everything up for me. He's like, just don't leave me. And so they take a taxi and they show up to James Franco's amazing looking house and they get out of the taxi and walk up and, you know, they're a little awkward. Jay is obviously awkward and they knock on the door and James Franco in his adorable glory opens the door and we immediately hear a joyful process by Funkadelic. The song plays as James is like, Oh, hey, Josh. And he's like, Oh, it's Jay. And Franco's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it won't happen again. Come inside. And Seth is like, Oh my god, your house is amazing. And Franco's like, I designed it myself. He's like, I just let both of you come inside me. (laughs) And every time, oh my God. And, And Seth is like, thank you so much for letting us come inside you. This house is just, it's amazing. And they're so serious. And Jay is just like, what the fuck is happening? Which is how I would be in this scene. And all the while, this amazing, like, funky song is playing in the back. So I tried my best to find a lot of information about the song. A Joyful Process was released on the Funkadelic album, their fourth album, America Eats It's Young, released in May of 1972. This was the first album to include several of their house guests, which were a part of the band for just a temporary amount of time, um, which include Bootsy Collins, Catfish Collins, Chicken Gunnels, Rob McCallo and Cash Waddy. For those of you who don't know, Funkadelic was formed by George Clinton. He is known for being this crazy-dressed African-American rock Guy. Like anyone who doesn't know George Clinton just knows that he has like colorful hair, psychedelic outfits. Um, he's got a very James Brown, sly stone voice. And he's known for just doing his own thing and basically developing and influencing funk music during the 70s Um, so this song is just it's perfect for the scene because you can tell Jay's kind of like kind of a hipster even though he doesn't want to admit it and this song everyone's like jamming and dancing and it's very different than how jay is and it also sets the tone for the party um this song plays like i said for the entirety of their conversation and it's just such a groovy song and it actually starts off with the children's christian song jesus loves me and then it goes into this crazy funky beat it's really cool this song um charted but it wasn't like super popular it charted on the r&b album for 22 in 1972 and in 123 for pop albums in 1972 they were eventually inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 1997 with its 15 other members like i said they like to bring in other people to play on certain albums or certain songs and they became like honorary members of their band So, um, not a whole lot of information on Funkadelic or George Clinton. I apologize, but this song is just groovy and awesome. And I love it. Um, it's just, it's a really cool song. And it, like I said, really sets the tone for the party. So we move on to like, where Jay is kind of like, obviously awkward. He asks to go smoke a cigarette and we see Seth, you know, very comfortable. And, you know, it's obvious that him and Franco are like super good friends and he runs into, um, just a bunch of other A-listers. Like we see Michael Sarah, who's being like a complete asshole and like slapping Rihanna's ass. And, <laughs> and, and that one- was your clue. <laughs> yes, that was my clue. <laughs> They basically told him, like, we are going to have you play the most non-Michael Sarah version of yourself. And I mean, he's like a coke addict. Like, there's one scene where after Seth is kind of, you know, mingling with other people, Jay has to go to the bathroom. And Michael is getting his dick sucked and his asshole licked by two different girls. And he's drinking from a Capri Sun. And (laughs) he's like he's like, Oh honey, do you need to go potty? Go ahead. You know, you do your business. And he's like, okay, juice break. And he gives everyone a sip from his juice and he's maintaining eye contact with Jay the entire time. And it's, the most awkward but hilarious scene um so it's it's crazy it's crazy and then after this part we get this awesome song that was written just for the movie um and it was written by someone who's in the movie craig robinson called take your panties off girl you know you give me off girl it's nothing to my balls get the ticket take your panties you are off beautiful. you are wonderful I adore- so Craig Robbins wrote this song and then asked Snoop Dogg to be a part of it, which he completely obliged. And he kind of sings a song acapella to the audience and kind of gets everyone in the crowd singing their song. And then they kind of ad lib and like add their own take on it. Rihanna sings a line in it, but it is a real song. And It was written, Craig states, for a waitress with amazing legs that he saw. The song was written specifically for this movie back in 2013. It, of course, didn't chart or anything like that, but he wrote it with his band, The Nasty Delicious, which he formed with his brother, Chris Robb. Um, For those of you who don't know Craig Robinson, he is in The Office, but he's also in a lot of other um, Seth Rogen movies, including Pineapple Express, Zack and Miri Make a Porno, Hot Tub time machine, uh, sausage party and Dolmite is my name. Um, he is a musician as well and a comedian on the side. And so every now and then you might've seen him sing in the office. Um, but he does really do that on the side, and he actually played with his real band for um, Seth Rogan's Hilarity for Charity stand-up special in 2018. So I think that's really cool that he still continues to do what he loves, which is music and comedy, as well as all of these other movies. And he's really made a name for himself um, since starting from, you know, The Office, so, and of course, for those of you who don't know, Snoop Dogg is better known as Calvin Cordoza Broadus Jr., the one and only, I mean, if you don't know who Snoop Dogg is, I don't know where you've been living, am You're I You're right? on a planet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy does it all. He's a rapper, singer, songwriter, producer, media personality, entrepreneur, and actor. His music career began back in 1992 when he was discovered by none other than Dr. Dre, and he was featured on Dre's solo debut, Deep Cover. Um, He's sold independently over 23 million albums and 35 million albums worldwide. Um, He's very, like, eclectic. You know, he has a style that... Isn't um found in a lot of artists. Like, yes, he's a rapper, but he's very smooth. And a lot of my research cuts on saying the same thing. Like he has his own kind of like smooth, suave style to the way he spits his lyrics. Um, so I mean, I've always been a Snoop Dogg fan. He's just he's just got he's smooth. Like, I don't know how to describe him in any other way. Is there a different word that you would say, Misa? Man, no, I
1: I think smooth covers it because like whenever a Snoop Dogg track starts up and you hear that, it's oh man, it's that '90s rap sound that will never be duplicated. Um, I don't know, man. The, the, it, Snoop Dogg music feels good. That's, that's
0: yeah. what I'll It feels yeah, good. It feels so good. I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Um, and he has a family. He's a family guy. He coaches youth football leagues and his son's high school football. Um, he even uh, currently, he's a vegan. Like, he has a vegan food line. Um, he has also been a part of WrestleManias, which I thought you would love that fun and fact. That's right, because he's Sasha Banks' like, cousin. Yes, he is. <laughs> (laughs) So he was um, in March 2016, the night before WrestleMania 32 in Arlington, Texas, he was inducted into the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame. And so he does make a lot of appearances because he does have a cousin. Um, but I mean he's just he's all over the place he's been in movies one of my favorite movies that he's been in is actually he's just a voice character and he's in the movie Turbo which he plays a snail version of himself and it is hilarious oh, that is so <laughs> um,
1: actually speaking of the, the Wrestlemania in Arlington when he was inducted um, mm-hmm. I was at that Wrestlemania the very next night and he performed her entrance music with her like <gasps> Really? really I can't remember the name of the girl who was singing her theme song but he came down to the ring with Sasha Banks wow it
0: that was woo! awesome I will post the video on the blog <laughs> thank you that's awesome so cool and so um I mean Snoop Dogg is so so well known he has a Hollywood Walk of Fame star I mean he's just he's an amazing person um and he's known for doing so much and he came from such humble beginnings and I love that he would just kind of be like yeah I'll do a song with you Craig like mm-hmm. wasn't expecting you know money or anything for I just wanted to be a part of the movie so I I really like that and again this song is just a kind of um comedic relief within you know the movie because like I said it gets everyone together everyone is singing the song together as he's Craig is playing it on the keyboard um and it's just a little kind of funny almost family moment before everything turns to shit <laughs> which Brings us to our next part of the movie. So basically, Seth and Jay go get cigarettes. And this is where Jay tells him, like, you you ditched me. Like, you do this all the time. You know, I, you know, I don't like these people. And Seth is like, you don't even know them. You have to give them a chance. And while they're getting his cigarettes, they feel this, like, huge tremor. And I know everyone who's from, you know, L.A., which is where they are. Um, tremors are typically normal, right, Misa? Or earthquakes? Yeah. Um, that's the thing about
1: California. I like, like, um, yeah, they do have earthquakes. Some of them are so minor that you don't feel them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them will kind of hit sporadically for a few minutes and it'll just kind of feel like a shake or a rumble. And then some of them are a lot more intense. So they do vary. Um, I, I've always heard that theory that like a part of California is going to break off and either sink or float. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and it will be because of the – because of, of, well, what I learned from Bill Nye, the actual science guy, is like tectonic plates and all that stuff. And so when when, when Earth starts kind of crashing against itself, that's what causes the earthquakes. Yes. Um, so, yes, in California and L.A., like, yeah, earthquakes are kind of common. Like, the way we are to hurricanes is like them to earthquakes.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, so, like, with us, it rains all the fucking time and sometimes it floods and sometimes it gets really bad. They have earthquakes and sometimes it's like minor and then sometimes it's
0: like major. So it,
1: it can be scary. Like I, I feel reluctant to ever live in LA and have things that are like glass on display or some right, shit. Right,
0: right. <laughs> like something expensive. Yeah, do so- never know. So basically they first react kind of like this is normal but then they see these giant blue beams coming from the sky and sucking people up and they're like what is happening and they run out everything's in mass chaos there's fires people are running over each other um like it's just utter chaos and they're both like stoned and drunk out of their minds so they're like oh my god what do we do and then they run back to Franco's house and of course Jay is like I don't want to be here Um, and they run in and it looks like everyone there is normal, which would match what Misa just said that like, you know, sometimes they're in certain spots of LA and not everyone feels them. Mm -hmm. And so James is kind of like, you know, oh, my house is a fortress, you know, whatever. And Jay's like, no, seriously, like there was these lights, you know, back me up, Seth. And Seth is kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jay's like, what the hell? We were both there. And so everyone thinks Jay's crazy. But then this huge tremor comes and they walk outside. Everyone runs out of the house and there's the start of this giant sinkhole that's filled with lava and this light pole comes and, you know, stabs Michael Sarah through the chest and then starts pulling all these people into basically hell. And we see like Rihanna fall and Aziz and Kevin Hart and everyone just plunges to their death in the sinkhole filled with lava. And, At this point, everyone's like every man for himself. They quickly, like you see people just dying and James, Jay, Seth, Craig, and Jonah are able to run into the house and they're like, oh my God, what's happening? They start turning on the news and everywhere's like sinkholes, death, you know, no one knows what's going on, supposedly the world's worst earthquake, which is like a 9.8 on the Richter scale is happening and James is like, we're fine. My house is the fortress, you know, we're fine, whatever. And just as he's saying that this helicopter is hovering above them and he's like, look, we're saved. And then the helicopter crashes and part of it comes through his house, cutting Craig on the finger. And he's like, I'm going to die <laughs> from this little cut on his finger. Such a diva. <laughs> Such a diva. And so the guys decide, okay, we need to board up the house, start gathering supplies, and like take this serious. And as they're doing this, one of the best Black Sabbath song, War Pigs, is playing in the background.
1: Poisoning their brainwash minds. Oh Lord, yeah.
0: Pigs is a song by the English heavy metal band, Black Sabbath. It was the opening track from their 1970 album, Paranoid. The song was originally called Walpargus, which, uh, please forgive me for mispronouncing, which is actually talking about witches' Sabbath. This song really is um, a Satanist song. And this song is kind of about what's considered like Christmas for Satanists. Um, And yeah, like a lot of people thought it was about the government or everything, but the bassist from Black Sabbath opened up and said, no, this song was just literally about evil, which kind of- Well, that's also the government- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, you that you can totally say that. Totally say that. Um, this song was Thought to be about the government because of like the mandatory army service that was being put into place in England. Um, Because remember, even though we were on this side of the pond, you know, Vietnam War was still happening over in England for them as well. Um, And so that's what kind of created this whole thought process that it was a rebellion song. It actually wasn't. Um, So the band kind of altered the lyrics when they were performing it live, depending on who they were playing for or the audience. And so that's how it kind of changed the name over time. So when it was originally released, it was called Walpurgus. Walpurgus. I don't know how to say it, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but then they settled on War Pigs, which is then much more, you know, understanding to why people thought it was, oh, an anti-rebellion, no government, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they did add in some air raid sirens after the name change and that just furthermore, um, you know, pushed that thought process that it was a anti-government song. Um, this song is like majorly known, has been covered by a lot of people. It's been included in, um, some of the rock band, video games, um, guitar war describes the song as the greatest heavy metal song ever. Uh, war pigs was one of the 40 songs featured in like a lot of, um, war movies. And I didn't know this, but the Arctic monkeys covered part of this song in a song called Arabella and they kind of combined both of them together, which I thought was really cool. Um, Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Black Sabbath is, like I said, a English rock band that formed in 1968. So the song did come out very shortly after them forming. It had the one and only vocalist Ozzy Osbourne. Um, They're often, you know, coined with the name of being the pioneers of heavy metal. Um, and they kind of defined that genre. Cause if you remember, we kind of had like the end of disco and kind of like more Led Zeppelin, which I wouldn't describe as like heavy metal, um, or the Beatles. Those are not heavy metal in my opinion. Um, And so they defined a true genre. They have changed their lineups quite a bit, um, especially following Osborne's departure. And he was actually only with the band for nine years. Um, They are very well known for kind of not giving a fuck about what people thought about them. (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, the Aussie bit off heads of bats and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Mean, Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> and they were ranked um, the greatest metal band of all time by MTV. They were placed second in VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock list. Rolling Stones has them as number 85 on their 100 Greatest, greatest Artists of All Time. They have sold over 70 million records worldwide. They were inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2005 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. They've won two Grammy Awards for Best Metal Performance. And in 2019, they were presented a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. So they are very well, you know, known and... um, widely recognized widely recognized and if you don't know like any other black sabbath song i promise you you have heard this song war pigs whether you realize it or not (laughs) promise you (laughs) like i would bet money on it it's in it was in the
1: background of your life at some point in time by now
0: (laughs) yes exactly after all of them have kind of inventoried what they have, they have a whole shit ton of various drugs. They have a little bit of food and water and a pistol. <laughs> um, they don't have a lot you know, to survive on, but they try to set up a ration system and they try to think logically. They also board up doors and windows and they decide, you know, we're going to call it a night and we'll figure out food and what we need to do when there's daylight outside. So they go to bed the next morning, Danny McBride, who no one knew was there because he fell asleep in the bathtub, comes down and he sees everyone's passed out and he sees all this food and all this water out and he's like, oh, hell yes. So he starts like bathing in bottled water. He washes his feet in the bottled water. He like showers that it's gross. And then he cooks every single food item that they have. And he has it all set on the table. And then when they get up, everyone's like, what the fuck Danny? He's like, I made you guys breakfast and this is how you guys treat me. (laughs) And everyone's like, this is the only food like he thinks that they're joking, like this cannot be the end. And as this happens, someone is like trying to break down the boards that they have put in. And it's this random guy who's like, oh, my God, please let me in, please. And as they're kind of arguing in the group together to decide what to do, um, he's like, there's something out here and something chops his head off. And then his head is like being kicked around like a soccer ball in James Franco's house. And they're all screaming and Danny's like, oh my God, this is real. And all this shit is happening and nobody knows what to do. And so then finally they start kind of talking and trying to figure out, you know, what can we do? What do we need to um, do as far as rationing? How can we make this better? And they start just kind of talking and hanging out more. And then they realize, you know what? let's just do all the drugs because I don't know what else to do at this moment. And Jay is like, I don't really want to do drugs right now. And Seth says, well, you should have thought about that before you drink a whole can of ecstasy. (laughs) And so then all of them are like tripping and they're just like playing around and like you see them so relaxed and it's just such this crazy juxtaposition to what we know is happening outside of the house. Like they're in here seeing rainbows and shit and literally devils are walking outside. Um, (laughs) So they decide, you know what? Let's film Pineapple Express Two, and as they're filming this, Mia's paper planes starts playing in the background. In my if you come around, hey, I'll make it's the cutest. Like they even have like an intro from the guys who brought you Pineapple Express and Superbad mm-hmm. comes. Pineapple Express 2, Bad Blood. (laughs) It's like a Rambo movie. It is. And they're sitting there, like, you see Danny sitting at the head of the table, like, as the drug lord. And Seth... And James are like, we can't do that. We don't have any money. And he's like, I'm going to give you all the weed. Now you have to go take a hit out on these guys. And it's like horribly put together. And then there's like a drive scene where they've put um, like little match cars with lights and stuff on it. And it falls off the side of the stair railing. And then you see them pretend driving. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, it's special effects. hilarious. It is the best special effects ever ever and this song just amplifies it um again another song that everyone recognizes not everyone may be an MIA fan but Paper Planes is a song that was written and recorded by English hip-hop artist MIA for her second studio album back in 2007 um Diplo actually helped produce and co-write this song and then helped kind of bring it over um to the U S it has a kind of like down-tempo hip hop track that combines African folk music elements, which makes it so one of a kind. I don't know anyone who doesn't like this song, honestly. No. Oh, yeah. I love this song. I can
1: jam it. I love <laughs> what they did with it. Um, Cause isn't this the one where her chorus
0: was inserted in that giant Jay Z song? Yeah. yeah. I love what they did with that. Yeah. She's really cool. Um, like I said, the song was released in 2008. Um, it, was censored a little bit because of the song's cannabis and gunshot references, which really disappointed um, MIA because she felt like she was being censored. Um, And it is her biggest commercial success. She entered the top 20 on charts in several countries, not just including the U.S., but in Denmark, U.K., New Zealand. It peaked number four here in the U.S., and it remains her only top 10 chart for that. This song was certified multi-platinum in Canada and the US um, as well as UK and it got gold in New Zealand. She wasn't expecting the song to be so successful and she became kind of like a household name after this song um, and it kind of caused some issues with her own government. She's actually Sri Lankan and they thought that this song was another um, kind of anti-government song a rebellion song if you will and so she had to go and pretty much defend herself to the Sri Lankan government um, and explain you know that it wasn't that Um, it won several awards in Canada like I said it won the ASCAP and earned a Grammy nomination for record of the year Uh, this song has received praise in publications such as Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, and it's considered one of the best songs of the 2000 decades of all time. I mean, this, again, this song is just very, very well known and, um, everyone loves this song. I am going to try my best to say her name, M.I.A. Uh, her real name is Mathangi Maya. Oh, her last name is hard, guys. (laughs) I promise I practice. A oh uh, it's like a a pragazam oh, oh okay that okay, sounds right. like that. okay all right let's go with that um of course Mia <laughs> is easier to say she is known for being a british rapper singer songwriter record producer visual artist and activist i didn't realize this but she's like 40 holy shit she looks great I know, like she's been around. Um, and she's done so much in her career. Uh, she actually started off as like a visual artist and filmmaker and then kind of segued into making her own music. She used like MySpace and stuff like that. I mean, she's she's older, she's so much older. Um, and that's I think that's also why she was kind of like not expecting to have success from her song. Um, I mean, to go from You know, just doing what you love and filmmaking and not really being recognized to having a Record of the Year nomination for the Grammys is crazy.
1: Yeah. not Um, to mention, like, the collaboration with the names, like, fucking Jay-Z and fucking Kanye and fucking uh, T.I. And I remember, I know this is kind of a a weird, like, left turn, uh, but I remember her performance at the Grammys. She was pregnant. And they performed that song. Um, and that was the same night that Chris Brown beat the shit out of Rihanna. And that's why Jay-Z was wearing sunglasses, because he had been crying about it. Yeah. So, and then, and then backstage, like, I think a little bit after that performance is when her nomination came up for the Grammy, and she was backstage sitting down because she was having contractions, which is crazy (laughs) that she fucking
0: performed at the Grammys, pregnant as shit. And I think she gave birth, like, two days later. Yeah. She was like ready to pop. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's, she's one of the hardest working people I know. And she was given, um, the member of the order of the British empire, uh, you know, one of the UK's highest honors in the 2019 year birthday honors from the queen for her services to music so she's yeah yeah she's just she's awesome and I mean to she just shows that no matter what your age like you can always push for what you want and what your goals are like seriously age does not define what you can do or be in the music world or you know movie world whatever it may be like she she's and she looks so beautiful Right, yeah yeah, and that's that's one thing that can really be like admired about
1: uh an artist like hers. that's the thing about the industry of like film and music is like if you're not in it when you're young, you're easy to pass up mm-hmm. um and some people just don't look at you because you yeah, like you're not marketable, you're not young enough, this or that. Um, so that's really cool that she kind of, she took a different route. She got a later start and she was still super successful. Like that's a really, really encouraging success story.
0: Yeah. Great role model. Great role model. Mm -hmm. So that song plays during the awesome Pineapple Express 2 movie, like I said, with (laughs) great, great great effects. I mean, never seen effects like that in my life. Um, After this, they realize, you know, we're all out of drugs. We're all out of food. We're all out of water. And this is when we start to see them like really becoming them true selves. And they have some real honest conversations about, you know, um, not being real friends. And um, Jay and Seth kind of talk about how they've been growing apart. And um, this is when Jay starts talking about like he thinks that this is like the apocalypse from the book of Revelation and, um, you know, everyone's just kind of at each other's throats. And that is kind of what's happening right now. Like, I mean, I know we're not going through apocalypse, but this is when tensions are high, you know, there's Mm -hmm. worries about food and things like that. And I I really thought that was important to show how it can happen in lots of different areas and how we can overcome kind of that unknown, that, you know, really high tension. Um, So, the guys decide, you know, we've got to do something to get water. And so they send Robinson out to try to go and get water from this like shelter. I guess they have, um, what are they called? Basements. Yeah. I guess they have basements. Or, or maybe, are, Unless you're talking about like a fallout shelter. Uh, no, it's more like a, cause it's, it, it opens up and then it climbs underneath the house. So that would be, would that be a shelter? Oh, is that where, is that what um, Dorothy couldn't get into during the tornado? Yes, 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 yes. Is that a shelter? Uh,
1: It's a storm cellar.
0: Okay, storm cellar. In Wizard of Oz, they call it a storm cellar. So something similar to that. Okay, yes, something similar to that. So McBride, uh, he goes out, he tries to go in with Robinson. They fail, and then they come back, and they're like, something almost got me. You know, they're trying to talk about it. And then they start basically digging through concrete, trying to get to water. Um, this is when they kick McBride out. Like I said, tensions are back to being angry. They finally get the water be- and McBride just like starts chugging all of it. And then just like literally throws all of it all over the table. And they're like, we're done with you. Um, and this is, they draw straws to see like, okay, someone's got to go out and try to find food because we've been without food for days. And, um, Jay is chosen with again, Robinson. They go to the, to the house next door And there's food there. And Jay's like, we can make our own life here. We don't have to go back. And as he's saying that, this crazy demon jumps through the window and they both run crazy back to the house. Also, while this is happening, apparently um, Jonah Hill was basically fucked by the devil and is now possessed. and he's going crazy and vomiting and throwing up on Rogan and Franco. And so there's just like mass demonic chaos going on. Um, They attempt to do like an exorcism on Jonah, which causes the whole house to catch on fire. As they're doing this, they run out. They don't know what to do. There's this huge demon over them. And Robinson's like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice myself. You guys you drive away, you go get away, go find food. You live like, I haven't lived a great life. I know I've made mistakes. Let me sacrifice myself for you guys. And so Robinson distracts the demon. And as he does this, all of a sudden this blue light comes and tunnels him and the demon can't touch him. He's been saved and he's ascending into heaven. And the guys are like, Oh my God, all we have to do is like, be nice and have a good deed. And then we could possibly still be saved
1: We Uh, sucked
0: up into heaven. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then we'll be sucked up into heaven. He's (laughs) like, you're so smart. You're so smart, man. Like you're just, you're genius. And you with your hair and your awesome body. And Jay's like, that Mm -hmm. is not how this works. (laughs) He's like, did you think it was just going to happen? Like, it's not just about talk. It's about actions. And right as he's saying this, this, crazy, like RV decked out with skulls and everything runs into them. And it turns out Danny, um, has gotten this whole crew of cannibals and they are like hungry. He's like, we haven't eaten and you guys look so tasty. James tells Seth and Jay go run. I'll distract them. I'll sacrifice myself. And so Seth and Jay start running Franco takes them on and then he's getting sucked up. He has this blue light around him and <laughs> he's like, Yeah. Favorite. He tells Danny, He's like, Fuck you, oh suck my dick. <laughs> and then the blue light. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't remember much of this movie, but I remember, Fuck <laughs>
0: you, McBride, suck yeah. my dick. And he's like, looking him up and going into heaven. Yes, and then the light flickers and then it disappears. And then yeah. he's, like, Wait. he's like, I'm sorry, I take it back. And McBride's like, You were petty, Tom, petty, sir, and now you're gonna die. And then they all eat him. And this is when like Jay and Seth are like, Oh my god, like I'm I'm so sorry. Like we have to hide. And Jay's like, I've been a crappy friend. I haven't been there for you. I was worried about things with my own life. And I projected that onto you. And Jay just starts like spilling everything out. And he's like, I love you. I'm so sorry. And Satan is like coming. And Misa, it's like this giant, like a hundred foot tall devil with a, like, 12-foot penis that they, of course, had to include because, you know, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Of course. And and friends. Of course, and so like Jay is saying, like I'm so sorry, like I love you, and like he starts confessing everything. And as he's doing this, the blue light starts to shine over him. It pulls him up, but it's not coming for Seth. And Jay is like, "Grab my hand, I'll take you anyways." And so they both start getting sucked up with Seth on the outside of the light, and then Seth realizes. If you keep holding on to me, I'm gonna weigh you down. And then none of us are gonna get to heaven. Let go, I'm sacrificing myself for you. And Jay's like, no. And Seth makes him let go of his hand. Seth falls and he's going straight into the devil's mouth. And then his blue light shines. And we are met with Whitney Houston. I will always love you. This song is the perfect song right here because it's obvious Jay and Seth are best friends and they love each other and it's just the perfect like super sappy, sentimental song during all of this chaos. And they realize that they're going to go to heaven together. And it's just, it's perfect. This song was originally written by Dolly Parton back in 1973. Um, she released her country version and it was kind of a farewell to her former partner and mentor of seven years, Porter Wagner. Years later is when Whitney decided that she wanted to cover it for the film, The Bodyguard. It actually did a lot better when Whitney covered it than when Dolly originally had it come out. Um, It was considered a commercial success for both of them though, and it charted for both of them. It reached number one in June in 1974 for Dolly Parton, but it only stayed there for four weeks. When Whitney Houston covered it in 1992, it stayed there for 14 weeks. And it became one of the best-selling singles of all time. It also holds the record for being the best-selling single by a woman in music history. Um, and then the song, of course, re-entered charts after her death. This song was chosen by Seth specifically because Whitney died um right before this movie came out. They originally were going to use a Prince song and then they thought it would just be a great way to honor Whitney Houston by playing this song um, instead and showing um, the relationship between the song and Jay and Seth's relationship as well. The song has been covered by a lot of other people, including Leanne Rimes, Sarah Washington, Linda Ronstadt, and there's a lot of dance versions um, over in the UK. Um, this song is probably one of Whitney's best 90s songs, I guess. Um, She had a lot of 80s hits, uh, but this definitely brought her back onto the charts in the 90s. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Whitney Houston is, she is a phenomenal singer she was born in 1963 and she pretty much was performing most of her life um in some way or another um, until her death in 2012 she is a singer and an actress she is cited as the most awarded female artist of all time by the guinness world records and remains one of the best-selling music artists of all time with more than 200 million records sold worldwide i mean That's crazy. And she actually only released seven studio albums to think that she had that much success from just seven albums. It's crazy to me. Um, all of her albums have been certified diamond, multi-platinum, platinum, or gold. So each and every single one of those albums has done amazingly well. She did have a crossover between her music when from the 80s to the 90s, like I said. She's just super well known. She was also known for you know some of her drug issues and everything like that. Um, She did struggle with personal things, and that's when her success kind of started to decline. Um, She was married to Bobby Brown, and she finally made her comeback after she ended her marriage in 2009 with her final studio album, I Look To You. She did die, like I said, in 2012. She um, drowned in her bathtub due to heart disease and cocaine usage. Um, And it was like right on the same day as the 2012 Grammy Awards. So she had an amazingly successful life, and I choose to remember her for that. But yeah, the song, it just perfectly, perfectly, matches this scene um and it plays right when Whitney hits that extremely long eye um kind of in the middle of the song it's it's perfect hopefully Nisa will be able to set that up right I think I know know exactly it's when the drums hit and she's like (laughs) yes yes that that long breath
1: which is perfect for that scene it is Um, it is (laughs) It's such a burst of emotion. It is. Um, it's
0: like you want to cry and you're like, this is yeah. not even a sad movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like in a comedy like this, like, and even in Shaun of the Dead, there are moments where it's like, oh, shit, that one got me. Like there's just a little yeah. glimmer of tear. And I would say if, if there was any moment like that in This is the End, it's that moment. And Whitney, of course, is such an iconic artist. It sucks that her legacy was tainted for some by her drug use and her personal life. Luckily, like, toward the end of her life, she did kind of separate herself from that negativity. Tried. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, It's just some stories are, I don't know, man. Some stories are just meant to end in tragedies. And it, it sucks that we lost her. Um, you know, she had such a storied career. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we had any of her work on this earth at all. Right. You know, we, we were lucky to live in the same timeline as, as someone like Whitney Houston and uh, to know her music. Uh, and I think, you know, it's going to be a very long time before anyone ever forgets her music. That song is going to be playing for fucking until the end of the world. Literally, right,
0: exactly. until and the end be, of the world,
1: someone will I'll be listening. Be honest
0: with you. I didn't even know that Dolly Parton wrote that song. I really? well, not until I mean, because when I first heard it, I was like, five, four five. Yeah. Um, And I just always assumed it was Whitney Houston. It wasn't until I was older that I was like, oh, wow, that was a country song first.
1: Yeah, and it sounds—I mean, it's so different as a country song. Oh, it's
0: totally um, different.
1: And it's—it's it's kind of amazing that it was someone like Dolly Parton. Like usually, when 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 someone like Whitney Houston takes a song and makes it a success after someone else wrote it or someone else sang it, um, usually like the original one was kind of a lesser known, uh, maybe not on the radar, not yet on the charts type person. But Dolly Parton is also a very significant musician. Um, So it's kind of amazing that someone like Whitney Houston would cover someone like Dolly Parton and then just fucking transcend this song and turn it into a whole nother demon uh, in the best way possible. I mean, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but a life of its own, a completely different life of its own. But the songs both still have their respective strengths.
0: Definitely. Definitely agree. So that song brings us into heaven and they see all these clouds it's all white they see craig who is now an angel he invites them into heaven and they see all these different people dancing and you can tell like based on their outfits that this is filled with people from all generations since like the renaissance till current and he's like anything is possible in heaven and so seth thinks of a segway and then he's writing a segway and then Craig tells Jay, like, come on, anything's possible. You can think of whatever you want. And Jay says, anything? And as he says that, the Backstreet Boys perform everybody.
1: Hell yeah. Best ending.
0: <laughs> Best ending. Um, sorry,
1: so, I love my backstreet
0: boy, so do I. No okay. shame, no shame, <laughs> no shame. Um, everybody, Backstreet's Back is a song by American boy band Backstreet Boys. It was released as their first single from their second international album, Backstreet's Back, in June 1997, but it was from their third third the third single from their debut us album in march 1998 so i guess they did have i didn't realize this they had different timelines for their albums when they released like over in the uk versus here um the us debut was actually originally released without the song but then when they saw how great it did internationally they re-released the album with the song included um this song is probably one of their most well-known songs they did when um best group video for it from nickelodeon from mtv they were nominated for best new artist from the grammy awards um they also won for this song in the movie for best musical moment in the 2014 movie awards after this performance um this song is kind of like Their main song that they always have to play. They always have to do. Um, It is been used for commercials for movies. Um, They've the song has been covered by everyone. It's been in a lot of different movies, including Zombieland. It was in an episode of Scream Queens. Um, And I mean, when you hear the song like you automatically know who it is. Automatically. Um, For those of you who don't know who Backstreet Boys are, they are a American vocal group. They do not like to be called a boy band. Okay, guys. They are a vocal group. They were formed in Orlando, Florida, in 1993. Their group consists of AJ McLean, Howie Doro. I always say his name wrong. I'm just gonna say first names. The group consists of AJ, Howie, Nick, Kevin, and Brian. Oh my gosh! I don't even
1: remember. Okay. I I know Howie, how oh my, Howie's my favorite. I don't remember his last name. Isn't it Doreau or something? Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know how to pronounce all those extra I mean, vowels. AJ McLean, Kevin Richardson. Those were the only ones I knew because I liked them. I didn't like the blonde ones. Right. Nick was my least favorite.
0: Um, AJ was my favorite. So really, yeah.
1: yeah AJ was my favorite.
0: too. But I love yeah. Howie because he was like, he was
1: like the innocent cute, like he the like not adorable. obvious bad
0: guy cute. He was yeah. Dirty. I agree with that. I agree with that. They um, rose to fame with their debut, like I said, internationally first back in 1996. They are still performing, still recording to this day. Um, they did have a moment where uh, Kevin left them for a little bit, but then he came back and he recorded their newest album. I didn't realize this until I was doing my research. Now, guys, I know there's been a feud between like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, but after doing research, No one can ever say that Backstreet Boys are not amazing. They are, They are, and this is based on number cells of records and awards, okay? They are the first boy band to top the U.S. album charts in three different decades. They are the only boy band to have sold over 100 million records worldwide, making them the best-selling boy band of all time, beating out New Kids on the Block, The Osmonds, Jackson Five, Bay City Rollers, Boys to Men, One Direction, boom.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm just gonna throw out the fact that um, if you needed any bit of evidence that they're better than In Sync, who's still around, guys? I'm just saying. Yeah. So fuck yeah. it,
0: Timberlake. <laughs> um, so I mean, they did. not they just, it's an amazing ending to this movie. They're all dressed in white, all adorably cute, doing the same choreography. It just, it ends this movie in such a happy note. And I specifically, the song does play twice in the movie, but I chose this ending one because it is the band performing, but also because there it gives us hope. There's gonna be hope at the end of the world. Do we know how long it's gonna be? No, but we know that it's coming and we just have to be patient and do what we can until that meantime. Mm-hmm. And, and worst comes to
1: worst we can party in heaven with the Backstreet Boys when it's all exactly.
0: over exactly and that guys ends my movie for apocalyptic Ooh. time yay I loved it that's a great soundtrack I need to rewatch that movie now you do you absolutely do Um, and I did have a little fun me. Yes, I do have one little fun fact. Um, So I didn't realize that Rogan, I'm sorry, Seth and Evan have been friends since they were 13. They wrote, um, they met uh, at a bar mitzvah and they actually wrote super bad when they were just 13. So fun fact. So that ends my apocalyptic uh, movie. I hope you guys find the light heartedness in all of this chaos and unknown. And just even though it's hard guys, Try to find those glimmers of hope. This was Soundtrack City. I'm Misa. And I'm Frankie. Wishing you all the best and wash your hands. Yeah,
1: guys. Please take care and join us next time. Bye. Stay home. Be Quarren kings and Quarren queens. (laughs) Bye, guys.